Hello everyone and welcome back to Back of the Grid uh, for the first podcast of 2019. My name is Chris and as ever I'm joined by Tom. Hello. And by Stu. Hello. How are we all? Ill. <laughs> oh good. Well, really poorly. I've brought my sexy husky voice to this episode of the podcast. Mm, you lucky listeners. <laughs> How are you Tom? Yes, yeah, Tom. How are you? I, I'm just, I'm just living out the the constant meme that is X number of days until the season starts. Yeah, right. Yeah. We're over halfway now. <laughs> over halfway through the winter break. Um, it's coming around quick. It is. Yeah, we've had Formula E to keep us going as well, but we'll talk about that later. I think. Um, to start with, though, you may have noticed that our music had no um, comedy radio messaging this week, uh, and that's because it's a new season, so we need some new team radio clips for our music so if you out there have any suggestions of funny team radio over the last uh season that we can drop in there uh send them in and we'll pick a few out to have as our intro for the whole year um not actually spring to mind right now as i'm thinking about it so i hope people out there have got some good ideas whenever anyone mentions radio to me now all i think of is a horse with horns can you remember that team radio message to, was it Juan Pablo Montoya, maybe? Oh, it's Montoya. Oh, yeah. yeah. He says, oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, he says, oh, dear. And then the engineer says to him, like, the engineer seems to think that he's not quite Doesn't sure know what a deer what is. A deer <laughs> yeah. is, yeah. And she describes it as a horse with horns. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. So a, a, a smattering of news happened over the winter. Um so we'll quickly go over the the more important stuff. Most of it's Ferrari related, actually. Um, it's not like Ferrari to keep themselves in the headlines, but there we go. Hmm. Um, the, I guess the biggest story of the winter was that Ferrari um, parted ways, read into that what you will, um, with team principal Maurizio Arrivabene. Um, he's being replaced by Mattia Binotto, who was formerly the technical chief there. Um, that brings to the end four seasons of Arriba Bene in charge, um, <clears throat> during which time I think it's fair to say Ferrari improved from where they were when he took over, um, but they still failed to win a title in that time, which I guess was the nail in his coffin. Um, I think they actually probably gave him a bit more time than they have their last couple of team principals, haven't they? Mm, Dominicali was there a long time, wasn't he? I guess so, yeah. Hmm. I, can't, I couldn't think how long it was to draw a direct comparison. But... He was there under the, the previous guy as well, wasn't he, though, Dominicali? Uh, who was the yeah. guy before? Maurizio? No. Um... Um... Oh, it was... Uh, what's his name? He was in charge of the FIA now. Oh, uh, Jean Todd. Yeah, I think Jean Todd, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, actually, Bonotto has been around about that long as well. He's been with Ferrari since 1995 which is wow. a long old time to work at one place. Um, and he's been technical chief since 2006, which is kind of where their more recent upturn in form started. So See, clearly... Um, 2006 or 2016? 16, sorry, not six. Um, so he clearly you know, knows what he's doing from a technical side. Uh, whether he will make a good team principal seems to have divided people. Um mm. Yeah, good technical chief does not necessarily make a um, good team boss. But yeah, did anyone see this coming? Mm, I felt like they were going to give Arriva Bene at least another season, to be honest. Mm. Um, but now it's kind of happened. 
I've seen a lot of people saying that he was basically seen as a being part of kind of a blame culture within the team. Um, and also the fact that Ferrari just don't want to talk to the media these days apparently kind of stems from his management style as well. So I think a lot right. of people who work in F1 media are glad to see the back of him because they might actually get to talk to Ferrari now. Yeah, I always found that odd, even from a, yeah. from a marketing perspective as well. You'd expect Ferrari as the you know one of the biggest brands in Formula mm-hmm. One to want to take advantage of the mass media coverage that you mm, get you from think so. being part of Formula One. It's very yeah, strange they, behavior. They don't want to talk good or bad, though, do they? No, that's, that's it. The point. Exactly. Like you can understand it when it's bad, but when it's good, they never seem to bother. Like you kind of. Uh, Think of him what you will, but you know Horner's always there or thereabouts and willing to talk to the media, yeah. as is uh, Toto Wolff usually, and mm-hmm. people like that from Mercedes. So from those teams, you've always got someone around that's willing to do an interview where, like you say, Ferrari just never seemed to be bothered at all, whether yeah. it's good or bad. Maurizio always seemed like a bit of a sourpuss to me. Like his face, He never looked happy. I mean, I suppose no. you wouldn't ever look no. happy if you've got Vettel crashing your car in his own race and that kind of thing. There is but, that. But still, like, it's, you know, even when they won, he always looked cheesed off. (laughs) (laughs) So, I I, I don't know. I'm not really that bothered about him going, to be honest. I'm keen to see someone else do something with that. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say maybe Bonotto will kind of change that kind of Ferrari approach to things. But then again, he's been there since 1995. And until he got announced as team principal, I don't think I'd ever seen his face. So, that doesn't bode well for his um, (laughs) media savviness, but... (laughs) We shall see, I guess. Yeah, well, I guess not only that, but like, if he's a technical chief, then to suddenly be team principal, that's a very, very different role. That's like a people management, political role almost. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I don't see how this is necessarily going to move Ferrari forward. I understand he's supposed to be very good with people, and that's why the. And very respected within the team as well, I think. Yeah. But. You know, whether that's going to give us what we want from a media side and whether that's mm. going to give the audience what they want in terms of insight into the team, jury's out on that one, I guess. The other thing is that as far as I can tell, they've not yet announced a new technical lead. So, you know, considering he's been their technical chief since 2016 when they sort of were on an uptick, to then move him out of that role and so far not even replace him, is that not just going to harm the team more than mm. getting yeah, rid of Reeve Ben is going to help? I'd, I'd imagine mm. that would it not be... I'm trying to think who else is in that team still, but <laughs> there isn't really... Because they've, they've lost a lot of people over the years, yeah. haven't they? Like yeah. Allisons and stuff of this world. Um So I don't know who else is there that could kind of step up into that role once he's <laughs> moved. Do you think it's the case that Arriva Bene did so little there in the first place that they can afford to give <laughs> Binotto his job while Binotto does his own job anyway? It's entirely possible, yeah. Because <laughs> all he has to do really is sit on the pit wall looking sour-faced. <laughs> Occasionally punch a keyboard. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we shall see. Maybe at some point soon we'll actually hear him speak and see what he actually looks like because I'm still not 100% sure. Um, one of the first things he's done, though, um, I say that, I don't know if he's done it, but he surely had a hand in it. He's signed uh, one Mick Schumacher up to the Ferrari uh, Young Driver program. Um, it's been sort of on the cards for a while. Obviously, you know, with his family, he's kind of had some kind of link to Ferrari. 
guess his entire life actually. Um, which is not to say he's only there on name. He's the current GB3 champion, um, about to start his debut F2 season. Um, but yeah, he's also now a Ferrari young driver, um, which there's a good chance will mean he'll get his first taste of F1 track time um, in the young driver test, potentially Ferrari, but obviously Ferrari are also linked to Sauber and Haas. Um, so he could be turfed out to either of them as well. Um, he's also at the same time joined uh, Nicholas Todd's management company. Um, Nicholas Todd obviously being the son of Jean Todd, the FIA president, um, who in his own right is a very successful uh, motorsport uh manager um he's been guiding charles leclerc's career since he was in karting so he obviously knows what he's doing um so everything's kind of aligned for mick schumacher to uh carry on the trajectory he's been on um which again as i say is very much deserved like he's been really proving himself as a driver um there's no doubt his name has helped him get as far as he has up to a point but you don't win gp3 championship without being a decent driver no, and um, it's very interesting to see how he's going to do in um, Formula 2 next year because he's got some stiff competition. Mm. Yeah. He very much has, yeah. Um, he's actually got two Ferrari Driver Academy uh, stablemates in F2, uh, Callum Illot and Giuliano Alesi, another name you might recognise. Mm. Um, they've joined the Driver Academy and they're both also joining F2 this season. Uh, also, Marcus Armstrong, Robert Schwartzman, Enzo Fittipaldi, another name you recognise, wow. and Gianluca Pietkoff are all part of the uh, Ferrari Driver Academy. Have, have we gone back 30 years to... It's kind of bizarre, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. Schumacher, Alessi, Fittipaldi. Come on in, guys. <laughs> um, interestingly, um, Antonio Fuoco, who you may remember from the last couple of seasons of F2, is uh, being dropped from the uh, Ferrari programme. Um, as is a guy called uh, Guan Yu Zhu, I think I'm saying that right, um, who's been knocking around the program for ages. I think he's been quite successful in um, Asian GP3 or F3 series, mm. I believe. Um, he's about to join F2, but he's also been dropped, which is a shame. Yeah, mm. if, it, if it's the same Zhu that I'm thinking of, then he's had a couple of seasons in F3. Possibly, European yeah. Three, same as what um, Schumacher's just been in. Yeah. But- nowhere near as prominent sort of a, a top 10 kind of driver but not a regular no. podium sitter or anything like that yeah it's a shame for Fuoco because obviously he was um Leclerc's teammate in the season he won F2 um which I mean you're just not going to compete with that are you really um I think no. he picked up a, a win or two maybe but <clears throat> completely eclipsed um, in even more Ferrari news, uh, Pascal Verlein has now joined Ferrari in a, a simulator role. Um, obviously, he was formerly a Mercedes young driver, um, and he drove for Manor and Sauber until he lost his seat and then Mercedes dropped him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's doing a full FE season for Mahindra, but he's also going to be a, a Ferrari simulator driver. Um, he's there to replace Giovinazzi and Danica Viat, who both did that sort of development job last season, but obviously they've both got uh, F1 drives in 2019. I keep forgetting Kvyat's coming back, actually. I read this story <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, Kvyat's actually going to be back on the grid. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, based on 
that, you can assume Verline will be back on the grid in 2020 because Ferrari seem to be good at well having <laughs> sticking drivers in a simulator for a year and then sticking them back in yeah. F1. Car. He'll either go there or he'll continue his trajectory down and he'll go to the esports team for Ferrari. He <laughs> <laughs> just seems to be constantly like... <laughs> you know, he was in contention for a uh, Mercedes seat at one point, wasn't he? And now he's just gone yeah, he was, backwards. So. Yeah. He was the next big thing with Mercedes, wasn't he, for a good mm. few years. Um. But yeah, didn't do a great job of it. Uh, hopefully Sorry, Ocon Pascal. doesn't go the same way. Yeah, Absolutely um, savaged him there a little bit. He's had a fairly rough time in Formula E so far as well. He didn't get to do the first race because of some contractual stuff and then got taken out in the first corner in his second race. So yeah, hopefully we'll see a bit more of him as the season goes on. Yeah. He wasn't best pleased about that. No. He <laughs> smashed a bit of uh, pit equipment, I think. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Um, interestingly, sort of alongside Ferrari's restructuring, um, McLaren have signed Andreas uh, Seidel um, as their new managing director of the F1 team. Um, if you recognise his name, it's because he was head of the Porsche team when they won Le Mans three times and three WEC titles. Um, it's clearly a very smart guy. Um, he was supposed to be taken over as head of all motorsport at Porsche um, before they joined Formula E next season. But Zach Brown managed to lure him to McLaren. Um, but it's interesting because we were saying just about Ferrari kind of having this technical director hole and someone being team principal. McLaren have now gone for a structure where Zach Brown obviously is overseeing everything. And then they've got uh, Andreas Seidel, who's going to be the managing director of the F1 team. Then James Key is doing the technical director car design stuff then simon roberts is doing the car production side of things and then a guy called paul james who's going to be team manager with the actual track side operations so rather than giving one person this team principal role overseeing everything they're kind of sharing out the top job between a few different people which is an interesting How way of doing is it that? one two four isn't it four people <laughs> It's four directly in the F1 team. Then you've got Zach Brown and uh, Gilda Ferran, who are kind of a level higher working across their motorsport as a whole. So obviously that covers the Indy 500 and GT and stuff like that. Here's a question for you. This is based on, as well, the McLaren documentary from a couple of seasons ago, for those that have seen it. Um, do you think that part of the problem is there's just too many, too many sort of leadership cooks. figures there like yeah too many cooks spoil the broth kind of mentality potentially or, yeah there's just too much divided up and if one doesn't completely understand what the other's doing and why then you're going to become disjointed far quicker than if it's one person of i understand it's mm. maybe easier to distribute some of that workload but between four people feels excessive considering that most teams manage with say two people in that role Mm, well, well it's, it sounds like that's what Andreas Seedley is going to be there to do is to be that person to be the draw these disparate parts together into kind of one coherent machine so if he can do that then McLaren have a lot of very talented people there that hopefully will very be true. what they need yeah um and he's obviously very good at what he does because he you don't win Le Mans three times in a row without you know, being very good at running oh, a motorsport yeah, exactly. team. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if that if he can help turn McLaren's fortunes around and just how long it's going to take because they keep bringing in these big names and not really seeing any 
fruit yeah. from them. So, no. Uh, yeah, I'm a. I, I don't know, really know what to make of that. I mean, that does seem an awful lot of people. It, 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 even for the best, you could be the best sort of people manager in the world if you've got. You've probably got. You've got four, sort of three or four people there who are humans. <laughs> Who have <laughs> yeah. egos and have agendas, and you know, want exactly, their yeah. sort of part of it to be the most important. So it's going to be difficult for him to manage that resource and and, mm. and keep them all from bickering and arguing and and making them work together. Because obviously, they're such complex machines. These cars, as well, you know, like each 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 team within the Formula One team is not going to want to make compromises for the other. So it's like, how do you balance that? You know, and that's. Yeah, that's what he's there to do. So we'll see. It's gonna be a difficult job, that's for sure. Yeah, mm. it's it will either you'll either see no improvement at all because he's he's been unable to do it, or you will see a, a drastic difference because of the impact that that sort of overseeing role is having. Um, mm. So it'd be interesting to see which way it does go. Yeah. Um, well, I suppose but... whatever Andreas does bring to it, it's not going to show till next season now, anyway, is it? He's... No. Well, yeah, I guess so. That's that's the other thing. I'll, I'll predict this though: in that list of names you just read out, at least one of them won't be there by this time next year. That's yeah. a solid prediction, Chris. <laughs> I, just, I, I can't argue with that. <laughs> throwing that many top people into one room, there's going to be friction, and oh, someone's going to yeah. bounce. Yeah, yeah. I really hope McLaren can turn it around this year. I know. God, just sort it out, <laughs> McLaren. Maybe, maybe Seedle's going to be able to knock their heads together because it, it, I've said this to people in the past that that team's really needed someone to go in there and knock heads together and sort of, yeah. you know, get everyone pointing in the same direction. And obviously, they've recognised that, and that's why he's been brought in. Mm, so hopefully. it could be, it could be Tom. Like it could be that he does have a massive impact this season, and he does get them all pointing in the right direction, yeah. and, the, and the trajectory could be really, really rapidly upwards fingers crossed because in no offense to Eric Bully here because he is he's been part of some very successful teams in motorsport but I don't think he was the right man in that capacity like I he he seemed quite I don't know I don't know what the right word is to to use without sounding like I'm insulting <laughs> the man when I'm not but like he didn't seem like the kind of person that would rag people into place and yeah. make 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 an ultimate executive decision above somebody. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think that's possibly where the friction and then ultimately his leaving the team came about is because he just didn't have that authority. It, he never really seemed to hold the respect of the team, no. I don't think. Which is weird because when he was at Renault and Lotus before you got the impression that he was very much the guy at the top calling the shots, but he never yeah. really seemed to fill that same role at McLaren, which again is maybe a symptom of there being a lot of, a lot of cooks, a lot of egos or yeah. vying for superiority there. Yeah. But we shall see. Um, and last little bit of news, um, Finland, um, who are the most, the fifth most successful nation in F1 history have never hosted an F1 race. But there is a new track um, called the Kaimi Ring currently <laughs> under construction. Not the Kimi Ring, as it looks like it might be, <laughs> but the Kaimi Ring. Uh, it's, it's less than 100 miles from Helsinki. Uh, they're hosting a MotoGP race in 2020, but they are looking into bidding um, for an F1 race as well, uh, which I think would be 
good because there's a lot of F1 drivers from that part of the world and like the nearest race is like Hungary, I think, isn't it? Or Germany possibly. Um, yeah. There was the potential Copenhagen race, which looks like it might be falling through now as well. Yeah. Um, In... Have you guys looked at the track layout yet? No, I'm just trying to load it now. I'm just trying to if you it. click on that first link there, I'll be interested to know what you guys think of it. It looks a little bit like um, it's got a set, uh, a a vibe of uh, what's it about it? Catalonia about it. Yeah, I can With see the that. long straight. Yeah, a little right-hander. bit. Yeah, a hint of Istanbul Park about it as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's quite cool. I think it looks good. Rally cross bit, section as well. <laughs> yeah, Ungaro ringy in places as well. Like mm. it looks like a Fun. decent combination of two or three existing. Mm. favorites of my own anyway <laughs> yeah so. looks my like only they've deliberately cons- thrown a massive straight in there haven't they because well the trend yeah towards that, this is it? my only concern with it um and it's the ca- often the case when you look at using moto gp tracks for f1 is that i see one overtaking spot on that track yeah. and the rest is just single file yeah that could do with adding a, an extra little section somewhere that the F1 cars take that the MoGP ones don't to generate another overtaking point. But um, yeah, you yeah, could maybe like after after turn one have like a long straight down there up to the top of what turn two, three, four, five, six, seven, <laughs> where turn <laughs> one jo- like where where turn seven is at the top of that little kink where it goes right. Mm-hmm. You could maybe join those two up and make it a bit more like Bahrain or something like that. Yeah, possibly. If you want to know what we're talking about, by the way, it's K-Y-M-I ring. If you just Google that, you'll be able to find a track map for it so you can yeah. follow along with us <laughs> reading our way around the circuit. <laughs> yeah, pro- probably not the best um, content, this, is it? <laughs> <laughs> Top radio. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought that was an interesting little snippet yeah. that no one... I think Sweden hosted a race once and that's all there's ever been. Uh, in that part of the world, so it'd be nice to the have track, that there. The track looks cool. It looks like a fun track to drive to me. It'd be it'd be a tire nightmare with the temperatures up there, but oh, we're not here cold? to talk about tires. It's going to be really freezing in Finland. Baltic, yeah, <laughs> Baltic. Um, what else? Uh, the race of champions was the weekend just gone. Do you guys watch much of it? I haven't had a chance no. to yet. In complete honesty. I've only actually seen a little bit of it as well. We were fairly busy at the weekend. Um, but it was in Mexico City. In fact, it was in the stadium section of the uh, the circuit there in Mexico City, which is a very cool place for it. Um, Team Nordic won the Nations Cup. Uh, speaking of Finland, uh, Tom Christensen and Johan Christofferson uh, beat uh, Team Germany's Vettel and Mick Schumacher in the final. Um, I think one of the most notable results of the whole day was uh, McLaren eSports driver Enzo Benito beat um, Lucas Degrassi, the FE champion and former F1 driver, <laughs> yeah. which um, must have been embarrassing for him. Yeah. <laughs> um, Did Pascal Verlaine, Verlaine show up to this? Uh... He No, he, he, he didn't, funnily enough, after his uh, little barrel <laughs> roll last year. <laughs> Who do you think's better, Enzo Benito or, or uh, Pascal Verlaine? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... Well, Benito has beaten Degrassi <laughs> this year and yeah. Verline hasn't. So based on that, yeah. it's Enzo Benito. Yeah. <laughs> Is he the new Bruno Senna for this show? <laughs> he could be. He could be. Using an esports driver is a very weird yardstick, but I quite like it. Yeah. Um, then in the Drivers' Cup, um, rally driver called Benito Guerrera, who I 
can honestly say I've never heard of, uh, took victory in front of his home crowd. Um, I think there were actually like four or five Mexican drivers taking part. So three of the four semi-finalists, I think, were Mexican. So they're in a, a good shout of having a home win. Go Mexico. But Benito Grau that took it. Uh, he beat Loic de Valle in the final. Uh, and he beat Vettel, Gasly and Gutierrez on the way to the final. So he's obviously got wow. something going for him. Um, most of the former winners got knocked out really early, including Coulthard, who I don't think won a race all day. Um, Vettel also didn't make it out of the group stage and actually got knocked out by his new Ferrari colleague, Mick Schumacher, which uh, was very entertaining. Awkward. Yeah. Um, I was going to say we might see them as... as teammates in the future but i doubt we will i think we're more likely to see schumacher and leclerc as teammates yeah probably. that's a lineup isn't it that those two that'd be epic that'll be very good one day just, yeah just a point i assume coltard was representing britain he was yeah who was yeah. his teammate oh i think he might have been andy prelo i think yeah i was just wondering he's like in no offense to dc because he's he's done a lot in his time but is he really the best we can send these days it feels like no <laughs> British drivers want to bother, does it? Like, yeah, I think Jensen that, might I have think. done it once, I think. I've, I've definitely seen Jensen there. How many times? I couldn't say. I think it was only once. Um, Susie Wolf did it once. Other than that, I can't think of who else has been there. <laughs> DC's the only one willing to go every year. <laughs> I think he is, quick, yeah. Quick look at some... See if we've got any British winners at the Race of Champions. Danny Coulthard went last year, actually. I thought, I thought Jensen and DC did quite well before. as a team when it was held yeah, here I think in the they UK. Did. It was held in London a few years ago, wasn't it? Yeah. And I've got a feeling they did okay, if not won. Yeah. Um, 2018 was David Coulthard, the winner of the Race of Champions. Um, he won it in, Coulthard won it in 14 as well, 2014. Oh, wow. And then, who else? He won the... He was runner-up. Coulthard, again, was runner-up in 2008. Um, I don't know why. Shame you don't get them. super license points for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Colin McRae and Alistair McRae <laughs> uh, were the um, winner and runner-up in the 1998 race of champions. Oh, interesting. Now, that's um, a lineup. Does anyone care to hazard a guess as to what year the first race of champions was? That one. <laughs> <laughs> um, no. I'm actually not sure. It was 1988. Oh, oh right, wow. that far back. Yep. Um, um, mentioning Dan Tixon, actually, uh, I forgot about this. Remember how he was going over to do the Asian F3 Winter Series to pick up his last few Super License points just because it was like, you know, a formality. We might as well do this just to get them. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. He has had an absolute shocker over there. He's really? had... He's, yeah. I think picked up one podium for the whole season so far, and he's now out of contention for the title, which means he can't pick up any super license points for yep. it, I believe. And guess wow. who's currently ahead of him in the championship standings? Oh, I'm not sure. <laughs> it's Mick Schumacher's cousin, <laughs> as in Ralph Schumacher's son. David. Oh, no way. That's yep. no way. Yep. Everywhere that's he goes, amazing. he gets beaten by a Schumacher. Oh, Basically. that's so harsh. Oh, like, I poor Dan. I don't want to pile on the guy, but the attitude he had going into this, it's kind of poetic that it's just not worked out yeah. for him. Yeah, yeah. It, is. it is. That's a that's a harsh lesson to learn, isn't it? For it him, is, yeah. Thing. Yeah, I think... I think is, I th don't quote me on this, but I think it's a nine-race series, so it's three events with three races at each, and mm -hmm. this weekend 
was the second weekend. So they've done like six races all together now. But like you say, because he's not picked up enough points, um, <laughs> whoever's leading it's won nearly every single race. Because I, I remember yeah. checking up on right. it. Um, so with three races left, he's got no chance. And he's down in like sixth or seventh. And David Schumacher is the position above him. So. humbling humbling yeah. is what that is yeah i mean it might be what he's need, he needs actually yeah it is it definitely is it'll do him good um yes yeah, so we are like over halfway through the winter break but we have been entertained in recent weekends by formula e uh which is back with the new car which looks something like a batmobile on a spaceship um do you mean awesome Basically, I mean, awesome. <laughs> it's one of the best looking cars that's ever existed. Uh, crucially, it can also do a full race distance, so no more car swaps. Um, we've had the first two races now in Saudi Arabia and Marrakesh. And if you haven't been watching them, where on earth have you been? Because they have been <laughs> yeah. amazing races. Yeah. Um, the first race was a, it was a bit of a penalty fest, unfortunately. The Tachitas probably should have won, but they were two of many cars to get energy usage penalties uh, which let um, Antonio Felix to Costa take the win um, Felipe Massa in that race I think picked up like four or five separate energy usage penalties <laughs> so he's having a, a baptism of fire in his new series um, De Costa was also on course to win the second race and actually get a BMW 1-2 until the, <gasps> oh. him and Alexander Sims' teammates mm. sort of went side by side and outbreak themselves and handed the win to um Jerome D'Ambrosio, who is actually Verline's teammate, so that at least bodes well for Verline for future races. Mm. Um, but it's it's just brilliant, isn't it? Like it's fantastic racing. It's been so so good. Those cars look great for one, and two, they they can race each other. They can absolutely mm. race each other so well. And it's you know Formula One should really really be looking closely at this because. I think it's been next level, absolutely next level. And the the attack mode thing they've got as well is wicked. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I'm interested to see what you guys think of attack mode. So for those who don't know, without the car swaps now, they wanted to bring in something to add some strategy. So essentially attack mode is there'll be two lines on the track kind of on the outside of the corner or kind of off the racing line somewhere. And by driving through both those lines, you activate attack mode. Um, and as well as your halo lighting up with some cool LEDs, it gives you an extra, was it like 30 or 40 kilowatts uh, of power, I 25, think? 25, I think. 25. It was in Marrakesh. Yeah. I, don't, I yeah. don't know if it varies on circuit because does, Possibly, it, does the yeah. length of time vary? Because I know in Marrakesh it was 25 kilowatts and it was for four minutes, which is, yeah, total, I think, total equivalent of, of like eight. three laps. Yeah. Take. Um, yeah. something like that yeah so it gives you extra power for a while but the the clever thing about it is in order to activate attack mode you have to take a much wider line through a corner or take a much tighter line up like on the exit of a corner or something which obviously costs you time in the process but then you get the extra power to try and make that time back up plus some to make it worth it and everybody has to take attack mode a minimum number of times during the race so they can't just ignore it yeah. um also the teams don't find out um how many times they have to use it or i think the duration you get it for until just before the race so they can't or the, like or the location of the box either they don't know which corner it's going to be on they don't know really yeah. much about it until just until i get the there basically yeah <clears throat> um so they can't plan a perfect strategy using it ahead of time um 
and it, it seemed to work really well, particularly in the second race in Marrakesh. Um, you saw some people using it really cleverly. And I was thinking the other day, it's, it's kind of there to fill a similar void to DRS in a way to kind of generate more racing and more excitement. But yeah. for me, it works far better in a far more interesting way than DRS. Because a lot of the time mm-hmm. DRS is a, you push a button and you get to overtake someone. Whereas this is almost like a risk reward tactical thing that you're not guaranteed to get the advantage from it. Yeah. yeah. And it's also as well, you've got to, in theory, you've got to build yourself a little bit of a gap to the car behind you before it's safe to yeah. to run out into that wider zone because it's usually is on sort of some of the bigger corners you have to go or it seems to have been so far anyway on the bigger corners you have to sort of sweep out wide which is not the racing line probably a lot dirtier because it's being used less although it won't be as bad as going off the line in say something like f1 because more you know people are going through it for the attack mode but Mm -hmm. it it does add an interesting twist to the, the way that you take a lap yeah it costs you around two seconds ish to go through it yeah um and th- such is the downforce of these new formula e cars as well is that you do get marbles from the tires now you didn't before and these tire these cars are generating tire marbles onto the track mm. so you're getting a much much dirtier offline area than what you used to get in previous seasons so that also yeah. adds another um aspect of it yeah. to make it more difficult for the drivers um, I think it's a great, great, great thing. I think the difference w- between it and DRS is DRS feels like a, um, y- like you say, a push to pass, but it feels like a solution to a problem. Whereas the the, the attack mode thing feels more like a sort of a rather than a solution to a problem, a way of adding to the sport. Yeah. Do you see what I mean there? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So. Um, it feels really well thought out. It feels like they, it's gener- it's doing its job. It's generating really, really good racing. Um, I love the rule that you can still go under it under the safety car. I was yes. really worried during the safety car period that they wouldn't be allowed to go through it, but they can, and that means that when there's if there's a late safety car and you've kept your powder dry and saved your attack mode, you can then wait until you know the safety car is going in and go through it and you know it's all out attack and obviously they're not thick <laughs> a lot of them do it so yeah. you, they so they sometimes end up doing it all at the same time but sometimes there's people who've used up all their attack modes and they're left just absolutely like you know like uh, having to really defend hard mm. to avoid losing the positions to a gaggle of cars behind them <laughs> that have all got the uh I've got the attack mode. It's really, really cool. Do you know one thing I have noticed about that scenario, though, behind the safety car is whether it's intentional or not, but the way that it's been positioned on the circuit and the way that, obviously, the the calling in of a safety car happens, I think it was specifically Marrakesh, the last race, where people weren't actually 100% sure the safety car was coming in but they had a feeling it might be. So it was, right, let's run wide now to take that attack mode. Fair enough, we're going to lose some of the benefit it gives us because we're doing the rest of the lap behind the safety car. But if it does happen to go in, we're on it. And it it was really strategic. It, It is almost like 
do we or don't we pit behind the safety car? He's got that kind, yeah, it of, kind of is vibe to it for sure. Because in Marrakesh, obviously the safety car lights normally go out to signify it's coming in with about half a lap to go. But the attack mode activation was at turn one in Marrakesh. Like you say, you had everyone kind of trying to second guess when the safety car was going to come in. And some people went too early. So by the time they restarted, they'd almost completely run out of their power. Whereas some people timed it perfectly. And because it was right at the end of the race, they basically had a whole lap of like 25 kilowatts more than anyone else to... And it, it nearly actually changed the winner as well. Like, um, yeah, uh, Ducat, no, not Costa. Who won the second race? Um, Jerome D'Ambrosio. D'Ambrosio. He didn't have yeah, attack yeah. mode, and he was defending for his life for the final lap to try and hold people off. Yeah, yeah. That, and that's again, they just added such excitement to it. That's got that's what got me so hyped on it with, with the thing I was talking about. Just because you know, like you, you, there's just no way you'd get that in any other form of motor racing. No, you'd never see. You've never seen that before in my life. At like, least not as often as you get in Formula E. Yeah, um, I think the rule is that everyone has to use it twice as well. It's everyone has to use it a set amount of times. I think the number of times will vary race on race. Yeah, I believe um, it's been two times for the first two races, but I think it will vary throughout the season. Another interesting dynamic to it as well is obviously the driver is trying to obtain attack mode in the most efficient way possible giving away as little time as possible yeah. and they i saw one instance i think it was the marrakesh race where um a driver or it might be the first race where the driver failed to hit the box yeah. because he was cutting it too fine and he didn't two laps in a row he didn't get attack mode because he was trying to be too coy about getting the uh getting getting the racing line getting the best compromise between the racing line and the uh obtaining yeah uh, is, is that not clipping both the lines properly to fully activate? yeah he only yeah. half touched yeah, one of the lines yeah yeah um which means i think now in like in practice sessions the drivers are actually like practicing two different lines through that corner one for the racing line and one for getting attack mode in the most efficient way possible yeah which is such an interesting it's addition to have drivers cool practicing dynamic. two different lines yeah yeah it's yeah well i just cannot recommend formula e enough um i was slightly worried that these new cars and new rules they'd kind of break what's been good about it in the past but if anything it's even better this year yeah definitely, um yeah. if you've not seen any of it yet if you go on their youtube channel you can watch either highlights or just the full race replay of both the races so far <clears throat> um and then the next race is this coming saturday i believe um, in Santiago, Chile, which has always been one of the best tracks as well. So give yourself, it's only 45 minute race, <clears throat> sit yourself down for 45 minutes and treat yourself to just some of the best racing out there that you'll see. Cannot yeah, recommend it, it enough. It is on BBC iPlayer, if you're in the UK. Yeah, yeah. It's, on, it's on iPlayer, it's on, I think Eurosport might still have it. I think you can even watch it on YouTube yeah, in some places. As far it's as all I over know, the place. They, they at least stream some of it live, whether they stream it all live, I'm not sure. But they definitely stream the majority of it, like qualifying and practice and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, just one thing to point out as well, uh, while we're talking about their YouTube channel, have you seen the video that they've put up, which was from Marrakesh, and it was a comparison between this generation, the new car, and last season's, the final iteration of Gen 1. I saw that poster, but I've not actually watched it yet. There's nearly a three-second lap time difference. Really? Yeah. Whoa. Um, and Stu briefly mentioned the amount of downforce that they, they now have with the new um, aero kits on the cars, and it is 
very evident if you watch that video how much of a difference that kit is making the amount of um corrections that you have to make in the old car compared to the new one and the amount of understeer and stuff like that 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 is being fought in the old car compared to the new one mm, it is yeah. very very um obvious from watching that so if anyone wants to see a good example <laughs> of the effect of downforce on a car and and a good downforce setup versus a bad one. I'd recommend that video. <laughs> yeah. and, and also, also don't forget just, these are gone to you. Well, I was just gonna say also just take note of how sexy that car looks because yes, yeah, everyone when when the when the halo came about in Formula One, everyone was sort of up in arms. Oh, it's ugly. It doesn't look right. And there's still an ongoing debate about you know whether it is right or wrong for the sport. Whatever side of the debate you're on, the f- halo looks exactly right on these cars. Yeah. I yeah. Think. It, it's it, the car is designed to match up with what the shape of the halo so yeah. uh yeah to the extent they've even gone as far as making a feature of it by putting a ring of yeah. leds around exactly. the top that yeah. light up for attack mode and fan boost and stuff yeah that's cool um i was gonna say as well these cars are that much faster despite the fact they're now carrying batteries to run 45 minutes rather than the like 20 minutes that they did before which just shows how fast this technology is moving on yep um I thought it was notable as well that uh, Toto Wolf and James Vells were both uh, in the paddock uh, last the last race because um, obviously, as you mentioned before, HWA are kind of the Mercedes team in waiting almost. Um, so they were kind of there keeping on things until is it next season or the season after Mercedes join? I can't remember. Uh, I'm it's on the soon. spot now with that. I think it's yeah. next season, but don't quote me on it. I think it is. Yeah, I thought well, next I did season be- as well. Yeah, I think it's next season. Um, <clears throat> I did particularly enjoy when Toto Wolf turned up on television. The caption they gave <laughs> Who's him Toto said, Wolf? "He said Toto Wolf, uh, husband of Susie Wolf, team principal," <laughs> which I very much enjoyed. That's good. Very good. Um, shall we do a bit of inbox to finish off? We've had yeah. a few messages from you guys. Um, do you guys want to read some stuff out? Because I've been talking for ages. Yeah, let's do it, Stu. Yeah, go on. Do you want to go first? Okay, I'll go first. Um, Tom Austin Morgan <laughs> has said, Hi guys, good to have you back. Well, it's good to be back, Tom. Thank you. Um, I went to Marrakesh E-Prix and it was my first and really enjoyed it. Um, though I prefer the noise of an internal combustion engine, the closer racing uh, really made a change and the introduction of the boost zones in some corners made it feel like watching live Mario Kart. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so jealous he got to go to that race. Yeah, definitely. Same here. Um, Me too. And then on an F1 note, he also adds, uh, Red Bull and Honda have been pretty vocal about how well they're working together. What do we think? Uh, Is it simply marketing? Or do we think the team will be beaten by Renault this year? Um, Or do we think that Honda might actually finally smash it this season? Ooh. A bit early, I think, to answer that question. I, I'm going to keep my powder dry on that one until we get to mm-hmm. testing in a few weeks' time. I think of, you're right in saying there's a lot of um, there's been a lot of bluster, hasn't there, about you know how well they're getting on, but um, yeah, the proof will be <clears> in the pudding. So you can, I don't know. It's all talk until they actually complete a race together. Yeah, yeah. or how, not, as the case may be. How many seasons <laughs> did we have similar talk between them and McLaren? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And exactly. It, Look how that panned out. So, yeah, I I really wonder how long Christian Horner will be able to uh, keep it civil if things aren't going well. Because mm. yep. uh, he made his thoughts on the Renault engine known 
whenever yeah. anyone would give him an opportunity to for the last as, few years. As did anyone at Red Bull. It wasn't just yeah. them. There was plenty of people that were very vocal about it. Yes. So. The drivers for one. Yeah. Um, are you ready for the next one? Yeah, go yeah. for it. It's yeah. a fairly similar so, question. Uh, actually. Yeah. And, and on a similar note, it says, um, mm-hmm. Alex Thompson says, Honda in a Red Bull, the demands and packaging required from a top team will be very different from a Toro Rosso. IMO, that means in my opinion, for the, for the cool kids out there. Um, this will see similarities to McLaren with Honda power unit not up to the standards required by aggressive aero team and cooling. Surely going to be an issue again. Thoughts? That was That's a good of, point. Yeah. Um, it's a very good point, actually. Um, ooh, yeah. We spoke you know, a lot about how McLaren liked to shrink wrap a car on the Honda yeah. engine, clearly didn't like that, to and, the point where McLaren had to cut holes in it to yeah, cool yeah. the engine. And I guess the question there is, will there be holes in the top of the Red Bull next season? <laughs> I think if you tried to do that to uh, Adrian Newey's car, he'd cut your hands off. Yeah, he'd, he'd have an aneurysm, wouldn't he? There's <laughs> no way you could. Um, yeah, <laughs> thoughts? Um, hopefully not. <laughs> hopefully. Yeah. I, I really want Honda and Red Bull to work. I, I do. Like, yeah. I think, I, think, I, I think the sport needs it to work. Yeah. Yeah, and Tom, did you have sorry? sorry well, on, yeah, I was just gonna say the fact that they've been in the sport this long now, if they can't cope with that demand of making an engine that works in those conditions, like Renault have generally speaking managed it, Mercedes manage it to a degree, although they don't package their car as tightly at the rear, it's still it's still very slim back there, like. If Honda can't do it, then it's it makes you wonder if they're going to carry on bothering. Yeah. I I will say that these new regulations should make it a little bit easier for yes. the Honda engine and cooling because the cars will mm. probably have slightly longer wheelbase now, which will help cooling, um, and it'll help aero as well because obviously the longer the car, the more surface area there is for the air to work with. Um, so the, Honda have got that going for them. Cooling has always been a bit of an issue, hasn't it, with the, with the Honda engine? Yeah. yeah. So um, if anything, the regulations have moved in the direction that is gonna gonna make things a bit easier for them. So with that in mind, we should see them make a step forward. I think. Fingers crossed. Yeah, I hope so. Um, moving on from that, David Sinnott says, Formula E isn't too bad, but that electric sound does get annoying. <laughs> uh, it's a good yeah. place for drivers who get kicked out of F1, though. <laughs> I'd say I it's like, a very good place for them. I like um, the sound. Go on, you, we'll talk about the drivers, but I'm going to talk about the sound. I'd say it's a very good place for drivers to get kicked out of F1 because every Formula E champion so far has been an F1 reject. Yeah, so yeah. it's not a bad place to end up if you uh, lose your F1 seat. Yeah. And as far as the sound, like... I like the sound. I like the fact that you can hear... I've always said this about the Formula 1 engines. When they got quieter, it's a more dense sound. There's more going on with it. There's more to mm. listen to. There's, you know, you can hear the gearbox. You can hear the screech of the tires. You can hear all these other things that you just never... Even with the V6 hybrid that you wouldn't hear over the exhaust and the engine sound. So it's just... A, the, the sound argument in motor racing to me is redundant. I think the most important thing is to have close racing on track and the best drivers on track going head to head. Yeah, absolutely. I actually really like the sound of them. Like you can even hear the regen when they are off the power or braking. You can actually like hear the motors whirring up the other way to regenerate electricity. Like it's, 
I think it's a very interesting sound they make. It, if you're a mechanic nerd, a mechanical engineering nerd, <laughs> like we sort of armchair are, then yeah, it's good. <laughs> I love it. Like when I'm in a car, I, I try to listen to the engine and to the sound of the car to hear if there's anything wrong with the car. And the number of taxis I get in that have knackered suspension, you would not believe. <laughs> <laughs> a weird thing I realized one day that I do is whenever I'm walking to work, um, I like walk through central London. So on a fairly regular basis you see a tesla going past and every time i do i take out my earphones to listen to the tesla not making a noise which is an insane thing to say but that's so bizarre there's just something about watching a car go past and hearing it not doing anything that i have to make a point of listening for it's it's almost ghostly isn't it it is yeah really strange it's it's almost like you're just trying to catch them out like i know there's an engine in there somewhere Got you. Gotcha. Oh, no, no. <laughs> oh, that's good. Um, the F1 debate show. This is a new new, uh, new, seg- new writer. Um, how will the young guys do in 2019? Norris, Russell, etc., including Leclerc. I said that right this time. Um, mm-hmm. Formula E has produced some great races so far. In my opinion, it'll only get better. Very much agree with that on FE. Um, yeah. As for the young guy, I, young guys. I nearly said this earlier. I worry for Norris and Russell that they're going to be fighting over the last few places on the grid again, given mm. how their respective teams have been the last couple of seasons. I hope I'm wrong. Um, yeah, I, I think Norris is probably in with more of a chance of moving further up the grid than Russell, I'd say. In the, the Williams just seems a bit lost, whereas McLaren, at least they're making all the right noises about... Yeah, I agree. Of, you know, like restructuring and all that kind of thing. Um, I read an article uh, with one of the engineers, a oh, really famous engineer who works for Williams. What's his name? Anyone help me out? Uh, what well, he currently uh, works there. Principal currently works there. Used to be at Mercedes. Paddy Lowe. Um, yes, Paddy Lowe. Yeah, yeah Paddy Lowe went back there. Um, yeah, so Paddy Lowe was saying he, when he first got there, he fell into the trap of thinking there was only like, a couple of small changes that needed to be rearranged to to get them back on the right track and what they've actually realized is there's a whole bunch of things that really need properly properly restructuring just like McLaren are doing um in order to move you know actually make some serious steps forward so mm. they've realized that they it's, it's out there that they've realized that it's just a case of making those steps restructuring making those changes systematically throughout the the team in order to get the results and how long is that going to take? What's going to happen to that? You know, that's a mystery to everyone outside yeah. the team. Yeah. Um, I, I really want to see them both do well. I think Russell will do well in, in the car as a driver. I think, will the car do well? Probably not. Um, yeah. He's, he's got a, an unknown quantity to race against as well in the fact that his teammate is Kubica. And yeah. we don't really know yet how well he will do against this current like grid of drivers. Uh, we know how good he was previously, mm. but we don't know yeah. where you, we you know we don't know whether he's gonna after a few races be almost back on that level. And you know that could unfortunately for Russell end up being an Alonso to um, Van. Dawn scenario where you've got a younger driver that's struggling against a, an older, more experienced in the sport driver. Fingers crossed, not, and they they level pegging. But you, we don't know until we see them both on the track side by side. Really, 
Yeah, it's going to be an interesting battle, that. If anything, I have a feeling Russell's going to come out on top there. Um, I really want George Russell to do well, though. I think he's... I think Russell's like, the better really driver. I think he probably, I, honestly, I, he might well be I at this point. I think currently, It's yes, hard to say, though. Could be it's such an unknown di- quantity. Exactly. It's, it's difficult to say with Robert just because of how long he has been away from the sport. Uh, I know he's obviously been involved the last year or so, but... Yeah, until you see him in that full race scenario with everybody else, it's it's difficult, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, mm, definitely. It's very, but nonetheless, it's very exciting to see Kubica uh, coming back. It, yeah. It's such a great story, you know, the, to go from where he's been to go on the journey he's been on to finally be in a car, in a race seat, you know, on the green in Australia. It's going to be a very, very emotional, special time for that guy. I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um. As for Leclerc, um, hmm. I'm going I'm to make another early, Ooh. early doors prediction here. I think after four or five races, he'll have more points than Vettel. I think Vettel will outscore him across the season, but I think Leclerc's going to rattle Vettel at the start of the year. I'm going to go one better than that. Go on. I think Leclerc will beat Vettel. <sighs> that is a big prediction. I do. I think he will. I think what he did with that car, although he, he wasn't very good at stringing the perfect lap together last season, and Vettel was actually the best person at stringing yeah. the perfect lap together. He, you know, all his fastest sectors he'd do in Q3, whereas Leclerc could do them. Sometimes he'd get three fact his three fastest sectors in Q2. But I think part of that is symptomatic of it being in not the best car, a car that's probably difficult yeah. to string together perfect sectors in. Whereas in the Ferrari, in theory, it should be a much easier car to drive because um, he's got all the bells and whistles that the mm-hmm. uh, that Saber never had. So I think he's the I think he's better than Vettel. I'm going to say it. I've said there. Should, I said it. <laughs> we should make note of all these little predictions we're coming up with. I'm sure we're going to oh. do an actual predictions episode, but we should make notes. I'm of already these. doing it, guys. Yeah. And I'll, I'll <laughs> and in ode to that, I'll add my own, which is. Leclerc will score Ferrari's first win of the season, providing the game. Ooh, I like that. I really one. like that. I love that. That's great. Like oh, he yes, will be battle to the Ferrari win for this season. Nice, nice, nice. I'm so excited. I'm so. This is making me, me really too. pumped recording this. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we do the next one? Yeah. Sorry, I need to read that. I don't know. I was writing down those predictions. Um, <laughs> Ashley Foster Jump. says. Um, <laughs> long time listener, know, first time skier was the most precision equipment thanks just just dripping with in jokes there yeah, yeah yeah I'll tell you what the most precision equipment is the scales that Vettel destroyed They're exactly the yeah precision equipment. I actually out of interest when I saw that question I googled F1 precision equipment <laughs> and I think the third google result is our twitter account no way yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's hilarious brilliant. Nice. That's funny. Oh my goodness. Um, Brooke Archer. Let's just move on. Brooke Archer says, "I've been going through the 2018 season of podcasts to jog my memory before the 2019 season starts." Oh, thanks, Brooke. Um, here's hmm. a question: Who do you think will win the 2019 World Championship? I think it will be good to come back to these answers at the end of the year to see how close we were. My money is on a top four in no particular order. Lewis Hamilton, Charles Leclerc, thanks. Mm-hmm. Max Verstappen and Sebastian Vettel. 
Um, we're gonna save this, aren't we? Yeah. This we might be jumping the gun a little bit to make some full on proper predictions. Yeah. Um, let's actually see the cars first. <laughs> we're, we're, we're a podcast that love predictions, but we're going to hold off for now. <laughs> <laughs> um, at some point between now and the start of season, I think we'll have an episode where we make all these big predictions. Um, yeah. But I quite like we, your potential could... top four. Are we recording again before testing? Yes. Yes. For sure. Um, we could, in one episode, maybe make some testing predictions to see who's uh, gonna have the most, do the least miles and stuff like that. Most yeah, miles, least yeah. miles. Most ret- most most red flags caused. Like- <laughs> well, generally, we do that episode that slots in between the car releases starting and the testing beginning. We normally slot somewhere in the middle, don't we? Whether that'll yeah. be the next episode or not, I'd, I'd have to it check might. I think it might have to be the next episode, maybe. Anyway, we're, we're yes. basically doing admin live on air now, so we'll <laughs> sort that later. Um, but yes, at some point between now and the start of the season, we will do our uh, twenty-nine predictions proper. Twenty-nine um, predictions. <laughs> twenty-nine. Oh goodness! Wow, it's been it's been a long winter break. I can't <laughs> speak. You could do twenty-nine of them break. if you want. You could make twenty-nine predictions. predictions. Yeah. <laughs> no, episode season three, episode two. Chris makes twenty-nine predictions. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. It's we're getting back into the swing of it. Yeah. Um, speaking of <laughs> testing in new cars, um, we are only three weeks away from the first car launch, or well, at least the first car launch we currently know about. There might even be one before that. Um, and then we're four weeks away from testing, so there will be proper F1 content before we know it. Um, but I think that'll probably do us for this week. Um, so thank you very much for uh, joining us again and not forgetting about us over the winter. Uh, as always, like, share, and subscribe the podcast and all the posts and stuff. It will help us immensely. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, you can tweet us at Back of the Grid F1. We're on Facebook and Instagram. Just search Back of the Grid and you'll find us. Uh, and also backofthegrid.com, uh, where you can find a contact form uh, to send in any questions or anything and your suggestions for um, intro music team radio as well. Um, and I think that will do us for this week. So until. Uh, we find something else to talk about because things are quite quiet at the moment. Uh, Goodbye. Goodbye. (laughs) Bye. outro was like getting a sofa through a doorway literally like podcasting with all the commitment of henry the eighth (laughs) there this podcast is part of brit pod scene an independent network of uniquely british podcasts that's always growing check out britpodscene.com or britpodscene on twitter to find out more